Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning, Well family. Uh, my name is Darius White, and I'm a covenant member here at The Well. Um, I also have the joy and the privilege of uh, serving as one of the shepherds for the Domain CG. Yeah! Um, <laughs> much love, much love. Um, and um, today I also have the privilege of uh, just reading the scripture for us. So um, today's scripture is going to be coming out of Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. Um, again, that's Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 12, um, read from the ESV translation, and uh, the scripture reads as follows. Uh, Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, Uh, They went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, saints. You doing good? Good, good. Um, hey, I want to start off by saying that uh, I had to ask about 12 people, is that really what my voice sounded like after that commissioning video last week? All right. Uh, and so I was like distraught, low-key, upon hearing my voice. And so, uh, and they also, Hill Country had me standing all hood and stuff. I was like... Like, man, multiple people confirm that the Lord has since that video sanctified my voice. Praise God, all right? Uh, you know, the Lord grows everything as you stay rooted in Him. Your character, and He matures your vocal cords to make a more sanctified voice. Hallelujah, okay? Um, hey, we're almost at the end of our Uniquely Jesus series, uh, looking at stories told in only one of the gospel accounts. And today, uh, with it being so close to Christmas, we switch to a Christmas-themed unique story. Uh, Now, I want to start off and just go ahead from the jump and ruin some of y'all's Christmas ideas. Is that okay? All right, great. I did this about six years ago, but a lot of us weren't here. And so uh, most people, if you didn't even grow up in church, like you're not even like of the Christian background, you at least have a loose idea with the story that we just read, even if it's just simply seeing the manger scenes that pop up uh, around. Or you sing songs like, we three kings of Orient are... Like three people know the next line, right? Also, that song did not date well, okay? But uh, I want to say a couple of things from the jump, okay? First of all, uh, these are not kings, okay? Nowhere is that mentioned in this story. They are magi, 
all right? Do y'all know what that is? Yeah, it, it actually sounds the way that it sounds in our English ears. They, they were astrologers or like magicians, magi, magic. And so uh, they were sorcerers. They were somebody who looked for signs in the stars and studied the future and stuff like that. And so they were of a higher society because of the value of the craft at that time. And therefore, they were probably wealthy, but they were not kings. And so go ahead and take their crowns off your manger scenes, all right? Uh, Secondly, nowhere does it mention how many of them came. It, It may have been three. It could have been two. It actually could have been a hundred of them that came. But we can't really be assured that there were three of them. That's nowhere in this text. Also, where did they visit baby Jesus? In a house. Three people did good exegesis on this, right? They were in a house, not in a manger, right? And in fact, actually, they were not just in a house. It says that uh, Jesus was a child, and it calls him a child rather than calling him a baby. And in verse 16, which we didn't read, we see that Herod goes on to try to kill all of the children that are two years old or lower. And so Jesus is likely a little bit older here, maybe between like one and two, but not a newborn baby. They were not there with the shepherds. So just go ahead and throw your whole manger scene away, all right? Probably got a little white baby Jesus anyway. (laughs) All right. And so uh, if our peaceful manger scene is not true, uh, what is the point of this story? Okay, why does Matthew tell it? It's extremely intriguing to me that Matthew is the one that lays this out of all the writers, because as we've been studying, you probably know that Luke was the one that was really careful to, to communicate how the Gentiles were coming into the family of God. And these men were of the East. They were very clearly Gentiles and they were Magi, kind of people that the Jews did not associate with. So you would think that this story would be in Luke, but instead Matthew tells it. And so why does he tell this story for us? Well, I want to start off and give kind of a little bit of an aside, but it will really help us as we think about what we're tackling today. The fact that Matthew included this is phenomenal in and of itself. Here's why. The Jews were very anti-Gentiles, and they were very anti-things like what these magi were practicing, astrology, and they would really call this witchcraft, is what they would say of this. In fact, the whole Old Testament speaks negatively about this sort of craft. In fact, every other time that magi is mentioned in the scriptures, which happens somewhat often, it is spoken of in a negative context. And yet here, Matthew paints them as somewhat positive. In fact, they are the first humans that proclaim that Christ is king. And so you would think if Matthew, who is writing mainly to a Jewish audience, were to include something like this, like like what is he doing here, right? Like, like, Like why is he the one that is adding this in? And the aside I wanna give is actually uh, the idea that, I mean, you should really believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God. Here's why. The fact that Matthew included this, the only reason he included it is because it happened. There's no other reason to include it, right? Like this does not help Matthew's case to convince Jews that Jesus is the king of the world. In fact, in some ways, it kind of hurts his case. And yet Matthew includes it nonetheless. And so even before point one, I wanna say you can trust the Bible because the authors of the Bible never tried to doctor or alter the Bible to fit their own agenda. 
Like even when it doesn't really make their case look good, the authors are just trying to communicate the things that are true. And so when homie on Reddit starts talking about, oh, the Bible's been altered, you can shut that down. Right? It has not been. In reality, it's been preserved by the Holy Spirit of God in some sacred and phenomenal ways. And this ain't a, a sermon to talk about the validity of the Bible. There's a whole bunch of stuff on that. But it is the most verified historical thing that has ever been in existence by like a thousand times the next closest document. And so there's a reality of what Matthew is doing here, communicating just the plain truth of this. And so if this did not help Matthew's case, but he felt like he needed to include it, the question is why? Like, why did he include this for us? What is he trying to communicate for us? And so let's walk through some sto- the story some more. We'll get a really clear picture here, okay? A couple of points reiterated. Notice these were magi, once again. So lawbreakers, pagans, think negative in your head. And they were from the east. Every time you see the word east in the scripture, it's usually a negative thing. So they were Gentiles from a negative land. And they saw this star and they recognized that it meant something. So they came to worship this newborn king. Herod wasn't feeling this though, right? In fact, notice the repetition. I know it's a little bit small on the screen there, but I wanted to fit all three verses of the word king shown in those first three verses. In fact, Herod, he was barely even a true king because the Jews were enslaved to the Romans at the time. He was a fake king and he was half Edomite, so he wasn't even fully Jewish, but Matthew emphasizes Herod's kingship nonetheless. Why is he doing that? Well, that's because what Matthew is trying to get us to ask is, hey, who is the king? Like, who is the king of the world? Who is the king of our hearts? Does Jesus rule and reign as king? What Matthew is asking the the reader or the listener is, who is your king? Who is your king? Is this your king? Black Panther? No? Okay. Right? Notice here, it says that Herod was troubled, right? as well as all of Jerusalem. This big king is troubled by this little child. In fact, Herod's name, it actually means heroic, yet he's cowering at the mention of a child. In fact, that word troubled is often translated as the word terrified. So he's terrified of this little child. Why? Why is he terrified? Well, it's because Herod was made king by Rome, but Jesus was born king by God. See, it's interesting that all of Israel here is awaiting this Messiah, awaiting this king that will come and that will free them from oppression. And Herod very clearly is not that king because Rome is still very much ruling. And now all of a sudden you get these Babylonians and these Persians That's who likely these magi were. People who used to enslave Israel, by the way, their former oppressors coming and bowing down to this child, proclaiming that this is the deliverer of the world. And all of a sudden you get scared and try to kill all the little boys in the land is what happened to Herod. That's because Herod the king wanted to stay the king. The point is further emphasized in verse four. It says that he gathers everyone around asking where the Christ is to be born because, you know, he was ruling with no biblical knowledge or authority, didn't even know the scriptures, ruling how he wanted, so he had to ask other people, right? Notice, though, he knows what these wise men are asking. They did not ask for the Christ. 
They wouldn't have even known to ask for that. They ask for the king of the Jews, but Herod doesn't even dare to call him a king. He switches up his name here, yet he knows that they're asking about this Messiah that is to come. He's altering things because he does not want to give up the kingship of his own heart. The scribes and the priests then, they say, oh, he's gonna be born in Bethlehem. Then they quote Micah. Then Herod secretly summons them, does some investigative research, lies, says he too wants to worship Christ, but then he really doesn't. He just wants to kill him. It's because Herod still wants to be king. Y'all dig the story? Y'all feel Matthew set up here? Okay, and so we get three really important and somewhat related points from this idea of like, who is your king? Who is your king? Okay, the first group I wanna look at is actually the priests and the scribes. Now notice, they know the scriptures, right? In fact, they see the sign of the Gentiles coming to offer gifts as a fulfillment of those very scriptures, but they don't do anything about it. AKA, mere knowledge of scripture is not enough. You can know the text and still completely miss the point. Often we fall under this assumption, y'all, that having more and more knowledge will gain us favor in God's eyes or will make us holy in God's eyes, or will will make us righteous in God's eyes. And while it is extremely important to know and to value and to be able to handle the Bible, it is nowhere near as important or as valuable as being able to apply the Bible. To know and to not apply is very dangerous, family. These magi, they actually knew nothing of the scriptures, yet they're applying and fulfilling the scriptures, therefore really being the more heroic ones in this story. To know the word and to not live the word could be worse than not knowing anything at all. Hello, y'all ain't with me. Listen, many of us, we flirt with scribe-like tendencies in our hearts, don't we? Right? Like, like, and we have to be careful that we don't completely miss the Messiah of the world, the King of our hearts, because we're so busy reading the Bible, but not worshiping the one who the Bible is pointing us to. Matthew chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says to the Pharisees, you search the scriptures, right? Because you think that in them, they have eternal life. But you don't realize that they, the scriptures, are actually pointing to me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And so don't miss, hear me here, like, like know the Bible, okay? It's really important. In fact, even in this section, Matthew is quoting from Micah, from Numbers, from Isaiah, and from 1 Kings, showing how Christ is the fulfillment of all of the scripture. He's the greater Solomon that the people of the East come and bring gifts to. He's the fulfillment of Matthew chapter five, or, or Micah chapter five. He is the greater Moses that is delivering God's people. And yet this king tries to kill all of the babies. And, and he is also the greater Balaam and, and Balak from Numbers where these sorcerers come and try to give these blessings upon God's people. Like, like Matthew loves the scriptures and is showing how Christ is the fulfillment. So love the word of God, y'all. It is really, really important. But note, Matthew loves the scriptures because of who the scriptures are pointing to. The emphasis isn't on the Bible, the emphasis is on the baby. And we need to keep the emphasis on him as well. Make sure you do not love the Bible just for the sake of knowing the Bible, which is often just the sake of knowledge so that you can feel better about yourself for some reason. And you feel justified in your knowledge rather than justified by the blood. 
Don't do that, family. Love it because of who it points you to, the king. That's why we love the word of God. And so this is Matthew's first implicit warning is don't be like these scribes who know, but don't do. Don't, don't know, but don't move. That is apathetic. That is not good. That will not lead to the king being enthroned in your heart. Don't be like the scribes or the Pharisees. That's point one. Point two, though, he goes on back to Herod. You see, Herod here, he's so concerned with his own position that rather than hoping in the possibility of a Christ that would deliver people from Rome, he is paranoid and he begins to try to protect his own status. Y'all, Herod is too concerned about his own position or his own power, which is often true of us today as well. You see, many people, I believe, we miss the Messiah because we're too concerned about our social status or our position, not realizing that this lack of worship is actually costing our souls. And I'm not just talking about people who are hostile toward the gospel either. I think all of us have the propensity to do this. You see, it was the Bible literate people here who cared too much about their position to actually then go further and worship the king. Uh, Let me say it more plainly, okay? Be careful that you're not using Christianity as a front for your own power and benefit. Herod lied and said, oh, I want to worship, right? Like, like I want to go worship when in reality, he just wanted himself to continue to be exalted. He wanted not to worship, but to be worshiped himself. And too many people, I believe, use the church to get what they truly want, which is self-worship or power, right? Or you use your authority at your job to continue to gain this position. Or at times you even use your oppressed status to get some clout so that people can make you feel good because you're really just looking for power. And this is not the way of the kingdom. Y'all feel me here? Y'all gotta talk a little bit more this morning, all right? I'm gonna be up here a little bit longer than you want. Listen, Herod is using this system and this structure to benefit his status, y'all. And he wants to maintain it. And I think that many Christians do the same thing today. But let's not front, right? Like it's really easy for us to throw stones at the people who like do that way out there in a the distance. Like, oh yeah, those power hungry people. But, but we then don't take inventory of our own hearts, how we do this too, right? Like once again, notice, it says that Herod is secretly trying to find out what happens. You see it there in verse eight, right? So that he can then respond. And I believe that when we want to stay the kings of our own heart, we do this as well. We start to act like Herod. We secretly begin to hide our motives from others. At times, I believe that we secretly hide our motives from ourselves. And we try to trick ourselves into thinking that we're not trying to fiend for power when in reality, that's the motivation of a lot of our actions. So we then become like Herod. And then we don't want to give up the position of king in our own heart and in our own life. And so we'll gossip about people behind their back so that we can kind of look better to try to maintain this position or this status in people's minds, secretly trying to maintain control. And I could give 30 different examples here, right? But in some ways, I pray the Holy Spirit is challenging your heart some that we are more like Herod than what we would naturally think. You may not be using positions of power to exert your control, but you may be trying to maintain kingship of your own heart secretly, and you in doing that are just like Herod, beloved. We can be just like Herod here. And when you do that, you don't realize that you're actually a fake king, 
a king that Rome set up, not a true king. And what happens is, is when you are a fake king that a worldly power set up, you have worldly kingship, but you're not ever actually exalted because only the true king can take a present and make us princes and princesses to rule and reign with him. You see, when we lay down our power, we gain it. When we try to maintain it, we lose it, family. We are like Herod. And so Matthew, instead of Luke, writes this because he's in effect, in effect asking, hey, who is the real king? Remember, that's Matthew's obsession. He wants the writers to know that Jesus is the king of the world. He is the king that is to come. And so are we apathetic toward the pursuit of this king like the scribes? Are we trying to rule and reign in our own heart like Herod? Or are we somebody else in this story? You see, the former two, they miss Jesus in many ways because they wanted a Messiah in the way that they wanted the Messiah. Y'all feel me? Like, like, think about it. The Jews were not looking for a child. They were looking for a military ruler to deliver them from Rome. Therefore, they completely missed the king. And so for us, even though Jesus isn't always what you expect, and maybe isn't even always what you desire, if you really look, you will realize that he is the king that is worthy of our worship. You see, they wanted a savior from Rome when the son of God came to save them from their sins. They wanted a man, but instead they got God incarnate. Like God may not always give you what you want, but he will always be available for exactly what you need, even when you don't recognize that you need it if you look for him. And that's where the third group comes in, the Magi. Not what they expected, but they worshiped nonetheless, and they received because of it. And so back to them, right? They see the star again, and we see that there, and they begin to follow it, which, sorry, can I give a really quick aside here, okay? The, the Magi. Uh, this star, like, like, it led them to Jerusalem first, right? And every commentator that I read has said that it's because that would be the place that they would naturally look for the king was in Jerusalem, the city of David. And that is very true. But I got to asking, like, this star could have just led them right to Bethlehem, couldn't it? Like, like, why did it stop over Jerusalem first rather than just leading them right to where the Christ child was? And this is a Toryism, so be careful with this one, all right? I usually just give this to our staff team, not to our church at large. So don't be like, oh, Tori said, okay. But I think it is true though. Um, these astrologers, they knew nothing of the scriptures, all right? And so rather than leading them to the Christ child first, the star actually led them to the scribes first. They heard the word of God. They heard the scriptures. They heard the scriptures prophesied of so that they were not just trusting in some uh, astrological sign, but they can see that this is actually the fulfillment of the scriptures that have been being prophesied of for millennia. Faith comes by hearing and hearing of the word of Christ. I wonder if the Holy Spirit wanted them to hear the word first and then see so that they would have a genuine and a true and a deep faith. It's worth a thought, right? About why God orchestrates the, thing, the way he does in your life at times, even when it doesn't really make sense. Maybe he's trying to produce something a little bit deeper in you. Maybe he leads you somewhere different first because he wants you to receive something so that when he puts you where you need to be, you actually have a true, deep, genuine faith. I think that's what's happening here. But they came, they saw the star, and then they have this deep, deep joy, it says, 
the Greek there is actually unnecessarily repetitive. And you can even see it trying to be verbalized in English. This, this unmatched, this unbelievable joy, exceedingly rejoice with great joy, right? Uh, English idiom would be like, they were thrilled to bits, or they were over the moon, or they were litty lit lit. I don't know who says that, okay? But the fact is, is that this word here, it's actually the same word that's used for the joy that the fruit of the Spirit produces in us. It's one of the only times that the word is used in that sort of way. And so they see this child, they have kind of this fruit of the spirit of joy, and then they worship. Notice that they offered him presents is what it says there. Instead of gave him gifts, or instead of like presented him gifts, they they offered gifts to him. In fact, every other time in the New Testament that that word offered gifts is used, it's used as people offering their gifts up in worship to God. I think Luke or Matthew is drawing on something here. So these are magi or wise men who are now bowing down and worshiping a baby and yet offering gifts to God at the same time. In some ways, this passage is asking us, are we wise men? Are you a wise man that is looking for signs or that is looking through the scriptures who you will look for Jesus so that you might worship him? Are you a wise woman who will inquire diligently, who will respond when they sense that the spirit is working and will you bow down and worship the Christ? Will we do what it takes to find Jesus, to see Jesus, to make him our king and through that worship? These men traveled all this way to worship. And y'all, at times we'd be having a hard time waking up and driving to church to worship. Hello. Will we do what it takes to see and to behold and to worship Christ, family? This is who the true wise men are, as opposed to Herod or the scribes or even others in the story. Uh, There's so many things I want to say about this passage. There's so much depth in the Magi, but I'm running out of time. And so let me say this. Uh, They were offering to this Christ all of these gifts, right? When in turn, this baby that they were worshiping would actually offer them the far greater gift in eternal life. And they may not have known that fully at the moment, but they were sensing that God is at act here. And so they come and they offer him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, why those three gifts? Well, gold is what you give to kings. Frankincense is what you give to a divine being or what priests used in sacrificial offerings. And myrrh is what you gave as an expensive gift to a human, but it was also a burial tactic as well to preserve a body. And so Jesus is the king, hence the gold, which is Matthew's whole point of this passage. He is the king that is worthy to be worshiped. But he's not just a king, he's also a divine priest in a sense. And yet he's also a human that myrrh is offered to. There's only two other times in the New Testament that that word myrrh is used. One of them is in Mark chapter 15, verse 23. It says, and they offered him, Jesus, wine mixed with myrrh, but he did not take it. As he's suffering on the cross, he's offered, offered myrrh again. In John chapter 19, verse 39, it says, Nicodemus also 
who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight, as they bury the Son of God. See, Jesus is actually the greater wise man in this story, family. Think about the Magi here. Let's relist out what they've done, right? These Magi or these wise men, they traveled from afar and nobody really knows their origin. And they came and they, they offered gifts to this God. They saw this star and they were obedient. And because of that obedience, they had this joy everlasting. Isn't Jesus the greater wise man in this story, family? You see, Jesus too came from afar. In fact, he came from heaven, a place where none of us know the origin of, and yet he came and presented himself nonetheless. Jesus too offered gifts, mainly himself on the cross. And Jesus was the greater wise man who did not just follow the star, he created the stars. In fact, Matthew or Proverbs chapter eight says that it was by wisdom that Christ made the stars. He's the wise man in this passage. And the only other time that we see the phrase King of the Jews used in all of Matthew's gospel is when it's hanging over Jesus's head as he is being crucified. Behold, the King of the Jews. Matthew is writing primarily to a Jewish audience saying that Jesus is not just the King of the Jews, he is actually the King of the world. And for all of us who believe, then we can receive him and have joy exceedingly and abundantly because we receive salvation if we believe. We become the wise men of the story as we worship God. Think about the Magi again, this common revelation that led them to Christ, which I think is true of many of our salvation stories today. In fact, I'll just be bold and say this. I believe that there are some people in here today where you have seen the star, in a sense, common revelation, right? You've had that near-death experience and you know that you shouldn't be here. And yet here you are hearing the word of God preached. Or you felt that divine call in your heart and now all of a sudden you're hearing the word of God preach. I believe that you become like the wise men when you recognize God is doing something, I gotta figure this out. And when you go and follow the star, I think that star will always lead to Jesus, family. We just need to be wise men, wise women and actually follow it. And so I think that this is what the passage is showing us, that if we truly look, then all things, are pointing us to Christ. Listen, God wants to speak to us. Okay, I'll end here. Verse 12. I love that God speaks to them in a dream. Why? These are people who studied stars and dreams. And I love that God speaks to them in a way that they can personally understand. And I think that God often does that in our lives as well. I think he wants to communicate to us if we would hear his voice, family of God. Like think about these magi. They had this general revelation and a star. And then they had this biblical revelation with the scribes hearing the scriptures. Then they had this spiritual revelation with the fruit of the spirit being produced in their heart. And then they had a personal revelation, dreams. I think this is what happened when we make Jesus our king. He reveals, he speaks. And as we follow that voice, as we study the word, as we begin to behold the Christ child, we begin to, like these wise men, have joy that is buried deep in our hearts, family. As we listen to Jesus and respond to Jesus and worship Jesus, you receive joy. 
And so we can either try to maintain the throne like Herod, or we can ignore the signs and the scriptures like the scribes, or we could be wise men and wise women and offer our worship to Christ and in turn receive him as king and through that receive joy, abundant, and eternal life. Amen? Amen. I love you guys. Let's pray. Precious Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy that you, Christ, you came down, you came down to earth. God, let that not be common in our hearts, Father. Let this Christmas story that we're used to hearing, do not let it just grow so common that we miss the wonder and the awe of what you are doing. God became man and dwelt among us, that we who were hopeless might receive eternal life, that we might receive joy, that we might be lifted up, that we might be encouraged. Father God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us even today, that each of us in here would would quote unquote see the star in the sky, that we would hear the scriptures proclaimed, that that we would sense from you, Holy Spirit of God, these dreams or visions or, or community that begins to press in or whatever it might be that we might behold you, Jesus. That we might worship you, God. Father, I pray over these men and women. I pray that everyone who, maybe they're not sure if you, Christ, are their king, They're not sure if they've submitted their lives to you. Friend, I want you to know today, you can make Christ your king. That he came and died so that you might have relationship with him, that you might have joy abundant. And as we, like the wise men, as we believe in this Jesus, as we place our hope, place our faith, offer our gifts, we receive joy abundant. We receive eternal life. You have relationship with the God of the universe again, and Jesus invites you to follow him. So God, I pray for that eternal life. Christ, I pray you would also help us to be like the wise men, that we would come to you in worship. Let us be like the wise men and offer our gifts, our lives over to you. Let us be like the wise men and seek you out to find you and do what it takes to follow you. God, I pray blessing over these men and women. Let us be like the wise men and hear your voice, God. Even today, let us hear your voice. We bless your name, Father. We pray this in your beautiful, precious, and holy name. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.